For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, We're fast approaching our 100th episode uh, and I'm very keen for it to be a a special edition. Uh, So if you have uh, a particular guest or topic you'd like to hear discussed, uh, a team whose youth recruitment or current under-23 crop assessed, uh, do please get in touch with us at Scouted or or by contacting me personally, that would be Joe Donoghue on Twitter. Uh, I'd be really curious to hear your suggestions. Uh, and also, please remember to, to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podfollow, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, because it helps us reach more people and each rating is greatly appreciated. Um, on to today's episode then, and, and it's a very timely one, if I may say so myself. Um, Portugal were condemned to the World Cup playoffs earlier this month, uh, defeated in the last minute by Serbia and, and Alexander Mitrovic, who leapfrogged them into the only automatic qualification place for Qatar 2022. Um, that has unleashed a, a tide of reactionary takes, uh, opinions from distinguished pundits, ex-pros and just your average punter as well uh, about sort of where it's all went wrong. Uh, but with me today, I'm, I'm sure to reassure everybody in the long run that all is not lost, is uh, is Aaron Barton of Proxima Jornada, uh, the leading resource on Portuguese football in the English language. Um, Aaron, how are we doing? Fantastic, mate. Absolutely delighted to be here and hopefully we can dig into Portugal and what seems to be going wrong at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you sound like you're doing a lot better than the Portuguese national team, put it that way. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean... What what got you into sort of following following Portuguese football in, in the first place? So it's a um, it's a question I've been asked a lot of times. To be honest, it, it basically when I was about maybe six or seven, round about that age, uh, I remember watching Portugal for the first time on TV, and I think it, Euro two thousand and four around that time, uh, and obviously this coincided a couple of months uh, previous in May with uh, Jose Mourinho's Porto side who obviously won the Champions League uh, against Monaco in the final. So a lot of those players were also playing for the national team. You know, the likes of Ricardo Cavallo, Dejo, those type of players. And as a as a kid, I was just infatuated by this team and it was something that never really left. And then obviously Portugal then qualified for the 2006 World Cup. So at this point two years older, uh, obviously played England again, <laughs> twice in two tournaments. And I, it was one of those things I always thought as I got older, maybe as a child, you have these infatuations, or you have these things that you're really into and then it sort of fades away. But with Portuguese football, it, it never did. It never did. And the older I got, the, the more into it I got. Because obviously, with the advancements of of you know technology and the internet, it, it was easier to then watch matches from abroad and get more up to date information. So I started following the club side of things: Primeira Liga, Segunda Liga, uh, Campeonato de Portugal, the cup competitions. Obviously, the national team was my main love. And then when I got to about eighteen, I started going over to Portugal to watch games. Just club games if I was ever in the country I'd always try and catch a match and then yeah a couple of years ago I decided to start writing about it 
not knowing whether I'd be able to, you know, sort of garner an audience or not, but it was just, I felt like the, there was a gap for good quality journalism on Portuguese football. And I thought I'm going to do, you know, my best to try and fill it. And yeah, people responded to it. People are into it. You know, people who never really took an interest in Portuguese football found that they had a this sort of resource to go to and, there's other great ones out there as well, so it, it all pushes towards highlighting the good in Portuguese football and players, clubs, all the good stories that come out of, of the country. You have such a fascinating story, to be honest. I think Portugal and, and football is such a, a great relationship, and that's where I am today. Yeah, so it all started basically out of love. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember those early sort of 2000s Euros tournaments. It felt like England couldn't shake off Portugal and Ricardo and penalty <laughs> shootouts and and just the, the the heartache that came with those with those shootouts and the defeats. But um, no, I suppose you looking from the other side of it, you probably weren't too <laughs> weren't too uh, despondent about that. But um, yeah, I, I, that's I think that's really cool. Like you know, getting over to go and see games. I think that's one of the best things about. Be following a, a different country's uh, football and heritage or following a, a different team for a different country is that, you know, you, you get those experiences that perhaps, um, you know, your average football fan just doesn't get. So, yeah, I've got I've got a lot of time for that. But, um, you know, on, on to sort of Portugal in, in the present day, in 2021, going into 2022. Um, and I think one of the things that, that really stood out to me when I was sort of doing you know the background for this and I suppose this didn't really require an awful lot of background because you know I think it's it's common knowledge but three of three of Portugal's most capped players ever uh, are in the current squad you know you've got 36 year old Ronaldo uh Jean Moutinho uh 37 38 year old Pepe as well you know they, they they're still very much in and around the national team setup uh they're playing for for a manager in Fernando Santos who is you know approaching 100 games in charge I think he's at 95 or 96 at the moment um, which is the most of any permanent Portugal manager in in the country's history. So, you know, you, we're, we're really approaching uh, a time of potential transition. I think it's fair to say, given you know the the, the life cycle of of football managers and and also the the life cycle of um, of international players' careers. Um, you know what is I mean the, the Euros defense in the summer was 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 pretty subpar. I think it's fair to say. Obviously, got through the groups, but were knocked out in in the round of sixteen. Um, what what's sort of the the general mood, uh, the general consensus around around Portuguese football at the moment? I think the general mood. Well, it's a lot worse now than it was, say, a couple of weeks ago. Um, obviously, the results against Serbia was you know was catastrophic in terms of Portugal potentially not even making the World Cup with one of the best generations in the nation's history. It would be. You know, it'd be a farce. It'd be ridiculous if they weren't able to get there. Now, before that, there was this sort of maybe dividing line between people who were still Fernando Santos in and the people who, who wanted them out. As you say, he's you know racked up the numbers. It's some of the squad are aging. He's been there for a while. There's this transition period, and people have been maybe. Ha- trying to hint at it for the last couple of years, but it hasn't really came. You know, there's there was a section of the fans who wanted them gone after the 2018 World Cup. So you think back, that was, you know, three years ago. In that time, you know, Portugal obviously had two years before that, the Euro 2016 triumph. Then the Nations League triumph, which was, you know, the inaugural version of the competition. It was hosted in Portugal and obviously Portugal managed to win that. It has that sort of 
maybe giving them a bit more time, possibly. Uh, and then there's the section of the fans who remain loyal to him, or remained loyal to him, should I say. But I feel like there was a big switch after the Serbia game. I feel like those who were reluctant to turn on Portugal's best ever and most successful manager ever, which Fernando Santos is, he... When we look at Portugal on paper, how many tournaments Portugal failed to qualify for over the years? I'm talking going back, you know, to the very start. Now, in his time at Portugal, he's managed to win. You can call it two major honours if you class Nations League, and then if not, he's well, he still managed to win Portugal the European Championship, their first ever major international tournament trophy. So. There's that element of it, but I feel like after the Serbia game, as I say, a lot of fans started to to maybe think, is it time for him to go? Has has um is his time up basically? And if we think about it on a club football level, uh, the defence, the twenty eighteen World Cup and then the Euro defence, and then how these playoffs have gone, uh, he'd be gone. But obviously in international management it's a little bit more sympathetic. It's a little bit more sentimental. And the fact that he has delivered Portugal's trophies only sort of gives him more credibility. And I, the nation of Portugal and myself and those who follow Portuguese football from outside of, of the country will be forever grateful for what Fernando Santos has done. But he recently spoke out in a, he, he did a, an interview for Portuguese TV a live interview. It was a couple of days after the Serbia game and some people were actually thinking, is he going to resign? Is this where he's going to step down? And he says, uh, I will leave. I, you know, I will, I will quit as head coach of Portugal if we fail to make the World Cup, which to be honest, only frustrated people because it's this sort of, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, because, if we fail to make the World Cup, that's a disaster, and only then he'll be gone. But then on the flip side, well, if Portugal do make the World Cup, people are going to be frustrated that he's still in charge at the World Cup. Uh, you know, sort of the expectation to to really go far. You know, Fernando Santos in the interview said he, he doesn't think that the, the defence has been that bad and they've actually played quite well. So... Yeah, I think it's just frustration at the moment because Portugal have this enormous amount of talent in so many different positions. And we're not just talking talents, we're talking world-class players. We're talking the likes of Joao Cancelo, who's, well, he's one of the best left-backs and right-backs in world football. Bernardo Silva at the moment, for my money, is, is the best midfielder in the world. Or he's certainly playing like it. He's back to his 2018-19 form for Man City, which is just brilliant. Then, you know... The likes of Bruno Fernandes, he wasn't didn't even start, you know, coming off the bench. Um, who you know what he gives you, and then obviously we've got the you know the big names, Ruben Dias, Cristiano Ronaldo, those type of players. But there's so much quality in that team to not go to a World Cup would be, you know, would, would be would be the worst the worst kind of heartbreak I think for Portuguese football supporters. Yeah, it would be. I mean, it would be catastrophic, wouldn't it? Because I mean, I think people looked at the the European teams who who've dropped into the playoffs, and you've got Portugal and Italy, who are the, the considerable outliers. You know, you've got the 2016 Euros winners, and then you've also got the the 2020 Euros winners, who are both, you know, in danger of not qualifying for the World Cup. And you know, there's 12 teams in that in that process in that playoff, 
um, playoff avenue and only three will get through. So, you know, if, if Portugal and, and Italy get drawn in the same path, there's, there's a, I mean, there is a certainty that one of them will not, will not end up qualifying. So that is the risk that ultimately, you know, you, you, you let yourself in for when, when you don't, um, when you don't dominate your group, like other, you know, nations of, of Portugal squad quality uh, have done. Um, with, with Fernando Santos, you know, it's, it's one which from from the outside it, it does seem as though there needs to be sort of a clean break but then do you also make sure that the clean break as you said you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't you know the, the clean break does that come at the expense of qualifying for a major tournament well is is that necessarily the most prudent thing to do probably not um you know it's sometimes it's sometimes people just want you to to step away amicably and and honorably going out on top but it, it never it never goes that way does it um no and I think with in terms of the squad, you know, I mean, you mentioned there at the end, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, I mean, inarguably one of the best players of all time. But at 36 and with the sort of the talent coming through, potentially creating a, a bottleneck for, for, for other players because you can't not have Ronaldo in the team sort of thing. Um, so that in itself creates creates issues from sort, from sort of my perspective. But I mean... What 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 are your I mean, what are your thoughts on the reasons for not qualifying? I mean, is 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 there an element of Ronaldo maybe not fitting into a system, or is is that something which potentially in future could be could be an issue for for any manager coming in? To be honest, I think it's it, it's more tactically. I mean, you obviously we can't put all the blame on the manager because the mm. players are out there who are being asked to do a certain job and and they're not doing it to the best of their capability. But at the same time, I do think. Tactically, Portugal just look a little bit lost at times. I think in that Serbia game, you wasn't too sure of what Portugal were even trying to do because obviously you you get the goal, you go ahead early, and then it feels like for the entire game you're defending. Yeah, he was you know he was asking players like João Moutinho, he was calling them over to the side, you know, get on the ball. And let's let's bring us up the pitch, but João Moutinho was nowhere to be found. It, it it all just the system. It just didn't look. It 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 it's hard to really describe. It's just not coherent. It's a little bit all over the place. Portugal decide to go, and um, when they do try and push up the pitch, they leave themselves exposed, um, trying to put players into positions that they don't necessarily fit into. As you say, sometimes when he didn't play it in the Serbia game, but playing Ronaldo and Andre Silva together, it just looks a little bit clunky because obviously Cristiano is starting out wide, but him and Andre Silva want to occupy the same spaces. They both want to be in the box. They both want to. I mean, Andre Silva's a this sort of archetypal number nine, this striker who wants to get his head on things, wants to be in the six yard box. Right. Well, so does so does Cristiano when a cross is coming into the box. So. They, they create that sort of, you know, dynamic. And then you've got someone like Bernardo Silva, who quite clearly play, plays his best football when he's playing in midfield, when he plays as that sort of number eight on the right side of maybe of a 4-3-3, like he does for Man City. And he has a natural winger in front of him. Instead for Portugal, he's sort of running the wing as a as an out-and-out winger, which for a player of his calibre, who wants to sort of come inside and, and knit, you know, nice moves together. He isn't a player who can just rely on pace and get to the byline and, 
you know, like a traditional, shall we say, winger. So again, that that's an issue. Um, defensively, Portugal haven't looked great. Then you look at what happened, the, the second yellow card for Pip in the first game, he's then suspended for the Serie game. Now, for as great as, um, as Ruben Diaz is, which he is, he's fantastic. You know, he's the future of central defence for Portugal. The the fact that Portugal still rely on, on Pepe as well to be in alongside him at the age of 38, going on 39, again, is, you know, is a major issue for all the talent that's coming through. Fernando Santos hasn't really tried to bring one of the other lads through, maybe because they haven't been performing as, as well as they should. But again, that's another argument for another day. Um, yeah, I just think Portugal have just become a little bit predictable. I think they suffer when they play against certain type of teams. So if you look at how Portugal play when they come up against a side, they use a back three or a back five, for an example, they really suffer. They they really find it difficult to break it down. Um, the wing back is sorry, the full backs of Portugal are they being asked to press on the opposition wing backs and force them back, or then sometimes they stand off and Portugal are overloaded. You look at the game against Ireland, nil the nil nil. Ireland with a with a better side in that game, um, and again playing against a back three, the or a back five, however we want to take it. The first game against Ireland, Portugal were rescued by Ronaldo. If you remember, in the last couple of minutes, they were one nil down for for the majority of the game and he scores in the 89th and then the 96th or 97th minute I think it was then go back a little bit further than that the the Euros Belgium you know you could say Portugal actually you know they they, they played well and they should have went through but the fact is they didn't they lost 1-0 and again it was a side employing you know a similar a similar shape the game against Germany again absolutely battered 4-2 it could have been it could have been so much more for Portugal. They found it so hard to deal with um, Robin Gozens and, and Joshua Kimmich on the other side. The spaces in between, it, it's like Portugal didn't know what to do. So not not to, and this is quite a long, convoluted, long-winded answer, but I feel like there's so many different issues. I feel like people do try and put it all just on the fact that Cristiano is, is starting. But until he steps away, He's never going to be a bench player, and mm. I think people don't really realize that. They they think, well, oh, just start him from the bench. He'll come on for the last half an hour. He he won't. He's not the type of player who will who'll do that. He he's been a starter his entire life. So the the hypothesis in Portugal, the theory before Portugal looked like the you know may not qualify was that when qualification was going well, was that him. And Fernando Santos would play at this, uh, would be at this World Cup rather, and then after it they leave together. You know, Portugal's captain, Portugal's best ever scorer, and Fernando Santos, Portugal's best ever manager. You know, the captain and the manager who brought Portugal their first silverware would would leave together, and sort of the new manager would come in and this pathway between the under twenty ones and the under twenties into the first team would begin, but. Now, you know, I'm not too sure. I think, as you said before, things are supposed to end on a high. And now, if Portugal don't even make it, who knows what happens? Who knows what happens next? But I think there's there's so many issues at Portugal at the moment. 
No, I think that's fair. I think it's a it's a well rounded answer because you know, like like any issue uh, when it, it concerns eleven players and management structure and and a squad in, in its entirety, there's not just going to be one easy answer for it. Um, when there are <clears throat> when there are multiple issues at hand, um, and you know, simply pinning the blame on Ronaldo is not always going to be the case. But um, I think you know, as you you make some good points there about the fact that he's you know he's never going to be a bench player. You have to accept that he's always going to be a starter and. Um, unless you get that clean break of Santos and Ronaldo both departing at the same time, ideally on a high, but you know you, you can't guarantee these things, then there'll always potentially be an issue there. But um, you're speaking about a, sort of a back three or a back five there, depending on which which way you want to look at it, um, and that kind of brings me on to sort of the next the next generation essentially. I mean, this is the Scouted Football Podcast. You know, people will tuned in to know about the the best young players in in the Portuguese national team set up and, and below. Um, and, you know, somebody who over the past, I mean, certainly 12, 14 months uh, in, in the, on the, on the international scene, um, that's really taken off, uh, at least in terms of just being involved in the team, for, which for his age is, is something quite, quite, quite spectacular considering the players that he's playing around uh, is Nuno Mendes, who is obviously now at, at Paris Saint-Germain, but was at Sporting um, before that and kind of made his breakthrough there. He's obviously nominally a, a left wing back, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, he's, you know, he's a very exciting player. I think I've described him on this podcast as spider-legged before because it's just very difficult to to, to get past him when he's trying to trying yeah. to get the ball off you. But, um, I mean, with Nuno Mendes, with Rafa Leao, João Felix, you know the the next generation essentially who are already i mean apart from maybe rafaelao but you know they they're already looking as though they're going to be quite established in whoever takes in in the side for for whoever takes over in the next the next cycle um and and you know for the next decade at the very least yeah 100% i think the ingredients are there i mean this this under 21 generation that's just passed that is now mm. uh, nuno mendes' side they're a side who they were winners at youth level. You know, they've never quite got it done at under 21 level. They lost in the final, but under 17 European champions, under 19 European champions, um, some of the players in that squad who maybe fell away a little bit, the likes of Jota, at, who's now at Celtic, they're now starting to get the sort of career back on track, get themselves back in, in um, you know, showing what they can do. Florentino Luis on the weekend, I think, got his first assist. For Getafe, he's playing more and more. So those sort of players that maybe fell by the wayside are, are getting more minutes, which is great to see. And then obviously, as you say, the likes of Rafael Leao, who are now emerging as, as part of the first team setup. Whoever the next manager comes in, whoever that is in the next maybe year or two, there's there's an enormous pool of talent there. And then you look at the players who are a little bit older than that, who were involved in the first team setup, who've still got so much to give. You know, the likes of Renato Sanchez, people forget that he's still only, what, 24 years of age? You know, I think he was born, he's that generation of 97. So players like him, and then obviously you've got the under-21 generation, you've got the under-21 generation who are coming through now, which I'm sure we'll move on to, who are just so talented, so good to watch. Um, going forward defensively, they've they've got a coach there in Rui George who he has got this clear tactical structure, plan. The players can execute it perfectly. They've got good defenders, midfielders, they've got goal scorers. Um, so that's you know really promising and 
under 21 football, under 20 football, whatever it may be, it's always with eyes on the, on that first team. And I think Portugal would like to get some of those players into the into the first team uh, and, and get a minutes. But as you say, at the moment, it's a little bit you know doom and gloom and despondence. But we have got to look forward and think Portugal, you know, have got this enormous pool of talent that hopefully will be utilised. Hopefully these players stay on the right track. Uh, and then obviously the generations beneath that as well, the under-19 generation, is, there's just so much talent. So yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we get to talk a little bit more positively now about um, about the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we spent the first 20 minutes saying all the doom and gloom stuff. We may as well spend the next 20 uh, discussing the sort of the next generation and why there's reason to be hopeful. But I mean, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from there. I mean, it's just a matter of fitting them into the team, essentially, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a question of getting, and I suppose that's kind of where, or where you know, the where the sort of the the leading nature of my um, my Ronaldo questioning came from, or the when will Fernando Santos sort of make way? Because you know I'm I'm looking at the the, the players underneath, you know beneath them in the pecking order in the 21s, or you know who've just graduated the 21s, and you're thinking, you know there's there's ample talent here. It's not as though you yeah. need to hold on to these 36 plus year olds because you've got nothing else coming through. Um, you know there there is you know there is a bottleneck essentially. I mean Rafael has got something like is it something like three or four caps and he's 23 now maybe and then you've got someone yeah. like Gonzalo Gedge who is approaching 25 I think maybe this week uh, and he's on something like 22 caps and it's like ah right okay so that that's indicative of somebody who I mean Rafa Leao is I I would I would probably put him as a, as a player who's got a higher ceiling than Gedge but the, the time that, that Gonzalo Gedge was coming through kind of made it as though he was the very much the up and coming Portuguese young player, yeah. whereas now yeah. Leao is part of a crop of them, and you kind of you've got your pick. So, um, and obviously with with Fernando Santos, he's obviously trusted Gedge in 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 these games, and and naturally you're going to get more opportunities than than somebody who hasn't been tried and tested. So, um, yeah, I mean we'll we'll get onto the twenty ones because you you touched on them there. Um, you know. I mean, we I, I wrote down here, you know, fitting the under twenty ones of the last cycle into the senior setup. You know, you've got the the likes of you know your Diogo Dalos, who of course you know Manchester United. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, Florentino Luis Jota. You know those types of players who um, are, are playing at a good level. You know they're playing at top clubs in in European football. Um, it's just the question of how how do you transition. When do you transition, and, and and who do you who do you transition out effectively? Because as you've mentioned, there's there's your Diaz's, your your Bernardo Silva's, your Bruno Fernandes. You know, there's a lot of players in there who are just not going to make way. So, who who makes who makes way? <laughs> um, I think to be honest, rather than looking at personnel, we have to look positionally. So, okay, we, we look see. We were speaking a little bit off air. What? position the Portugal suffered in or have suffered in recently. Well, it's central defence, isn't it? It's at the back. Now, if you're looking at the the partnerships now for for Portugal, obviously, if you take Ruben Diaz out, because there's going to be games when he's not going to be available, you can't rely on him to be this starting central defender all the time. Now, the other two options, you've got Pep, who's 38, Jose Font, who... Okay, be fair to him, he, he's still playing for Lille. He won the league on last season. You know, he's still... He's found himself a, a good home there, but it's not at the the intensity and level when he comes into the national team. He just looks off the pace a little bit, and then add into the fact his age. 
You know what I mean? So that's difficult. So you're thinking, right, who's going to be the next replacement? Well, for years, it was Diogo Queiroz and Diogo Leite, who were both part of that FC Porto setup. They were both in the under-19 UEFA Youth League winning team. So the first ever Portuguese team to win the UEFA Youth League, which I'm sure you'll know, is um, just like a mini mini Champions League for under-19 teams. Now, uh, Diego, Diogo Queiroz was the captain of that side, but Diogo Light was the one that people thought maybe had the more, more of the talent. But it seemed like there was room for both of them in that national team, you know, in the next five to ten years. Now, that just shows you how quick football moves because now those people that were calling them for the to, to be called up to the senior side and to be starting have, have, have went very quiet because, well, look, Diogo Queiroz's case, he was sold to Famalicão from Porto at a time when Porto was short on defenders, really, and they still are. He then was loaned to... Valladolid, where he is now in La Liga, on a loan, I think, with an option to buy. He played the first two or three games, got a straight red card. He hasn't been seen since, I think, maybe seven or eight consecutive games on the bench. So he's not he, he's not even playing football at the moment because he's not dropping down and playing you, you know youth football or getting minutes elsewhere. He's just on the first team bench. You know He's not really learning anything from that. Now, if they don't exercise the transfer, which I'm sure they won't, is um, he then comes back at the end of the season. And at that point, you think, okay, he's 23, going on 24. Or, you know, it felt like five minutes ago he was 20, 21. And now you think, well, is he ever going to have the, you know, is he ever going to make it? Another one was Ferro, who was playing for Benfica, the central defender, came into the team, was playing with, Diaz was people were speaking that you know this was like the the Diogo Leite, the Diogo Queiroz of of Benfica, another central defender coming through, had a little bit of an injury and was playing through it, lost his way a little bit, and again, you know, doesn't really play anymore. Diogo Leite was sent to Braga at a time, as I say, again, when Porto were, they have Ivan Marcano, who they brought back, who is aging. They've got Chancel and Bembrews, I think, going into the last year of his contract, and his form has dipped recently. And then you've got Pip, who's 38, and you can't expect to play every game in the Tasta Liga, Tasta Portugal, Champions League, and Premier League, and then go away on international duty and be fit as well. So they signed, uh, well, they re signed Fabio Cardoso, who came through. Uh, Porto's youth set up if I'm correct in thinking that um, but Diogo Light you're thinking how did it end up like this you know he was he was in the side last week that conceded six to Benfica and hmm. uh, it was a little bit all over the place not to put it just on him but it, it football just does move so quickly and and now you're looking at someone like Gonzalo Inacio who I think at this moment in time could move up to the senior side. He's, I really he's had do. a recent call up, hasn't he? Or am I, am I he, making that up? The he may, he may have. I'll have to check into that. I don't that. think he's um, made his debut, but I think he might. No, have yeah, had he, a recent call up. Um, I think he got. Did he get added? He got added to the team. That's what right? I, mean, so yeah, I think so someone like, dropped out. Yeah, yeah. Um, a late replacement sort of thing. Yeah, but yeah, but I think he is someone that. Um, someone that could definitely come in 
and and do a job as you say even if it's to be around the squad at the moment and just to be in that environment and be learning the fifth and then sort of thing yeah yeah but but when you're looking at the the ages of these players the you are going to have to breathe someone in soon it, you know someone is going to have to come in because all of a sudden these players only have 40 and they're no longer playing for portugal and then you've got a lot of you've got loads of central defenders who you haven't even called up to be with the squad who've then automatically got to then jump into senior international football it's it's difficult and i think someone like um Gonzalo Inacio it, he's someone that we're all pinning our hopes on to be honest in being that partner alongside Ruben Dias because we've put our faith in in other players and you know football as things happen things change players move form dips you know players lose consistency and also just players struggle to adapt going from youth football to senior football I mean the jump is incredible mm-hmm. going from say under 23s or B team football so I think the the central defense issue is definitely something that needs um that needs a close close eye um on it and then obviously as you say this this sort of bottleneck of attacking players you got someone like Pedro Gonçalves known as Put who plays for Sporting again what a super talented player young player João Felix is still very young you know he has the potential to be whatever he wants to be yeah but these these injuries just seem to be Totting up, getting them, they? Yeah. yeah, they they they're getting them down. Um, but yeah, there's there's so much talent, so much talent. Yeah, I mean, th- th- speaking of so much talent, I mean, I was I was sort of closely following the the the, the under twenty one team, the current cycle, which is obviously new, renewed from from September after that Euros in the summer, uh, the under twenty one Euros in the summer. That is, um, because obviously now it's it's only players who were born on or after the first of January two thousand who are now eligible to to compete. In, um, yeah. in the next cycle of under-21 fixtures. That's leading up to the under-21 Euros in 2023 uh, in Romania and Georgia. Um, so, you know, I mean, we've been talking about the serious talent pool that was in the previous cycle. Uh, and I'd say probably ordinarily, you wouldn't, for a, for a country of Portugal's population size, you wouldn't get uh, sort of a generational senior team like like we have seen over the past decade or 15 years, for example. Um, followed by uh, an under-21 group who have gone on to under-17, under-19 success. And then, you know, two, was it, it was two under-21 Euro finals, wasn't it? 2015 yeah. and 2020. Um, yeah. And then follow that up again with another under-21 crop, which is just as talented, if not more yeah. so. Um, or at least the potential is, is, is very exciting, especially when you consider the Gonzalo Inacios among them. Um so I think that's in itself that is a that's something which absolutely has to be celebrated because you know you don't get that with you, I mean you don't get that with 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 countries who have twice the the, the number of people in the country you know you, I mean Germany at the moment are, are a prime example you know their their talent pathway in the early 2010s sort of with when you had your Thomas Müllers and your Mesut Özil's coming through uh, your Mario Goetzes, you know that was that was famed for for how how effective it had been because of ultimately they won the 2014 World Cup, um, but currently I mean I think their last game in the under 21 Euro cycle I think they lost four 0 to Poland, um, and 
that, that while there are some decent players in that squad, then none of them are household names like you'd potentially say that some of these Portuguese under-21 players are. And I'm talking yeah. about the likes of Vitinha, Fabio Vieira, you know, both playing regularly for Porto, Nuno Tavares, who's who's at Arsenal starting some weeks, um, Gonzalo Ramos, who is, you know, who's at Benfica, um, you know, Gonzalo Inacio at Sporting, as you've just, as you just mentioned, you know, and, you know, they, they are just five names that I've just reeled off from this from this under twenty one squad. Um and you know, I mean Gonzalo Ramos, I think he's got eight goals. He's got so he's under twenty one Euro qualifying's top scorer at the moment. Um yeah. the team as a whole. And but the thing with under twenty one qualifying is that you know the the poorer teams are even poorer than sort of the the senior national teams because you obviously you're you're restricted by the age group. But twenty goals for Portugal, none conceded, five wins from five um, you know, it's it's been uh, an unqualified success, really, and you know they're, I mean, they're very much on the way to to qualifying for that for that tournament in twenty twenty three, aren't they? Yeah, it it has. It's been fantastic, and to be honest, it, it's this sort of breath of fresh air because the last obviously we've we've watched the last crop for so long. Like I was watching that crop when they were under seventeen, and sort mm. of following them. They were this new golden generation, and and. You know, whatever happens in the next couple of years with with that crop in terms of going into the first team, we'll see. But then, as you say, it's not a surprise, but it's like, okay, now we've got this other under twenty one generation, which which is just as good, if not better. Um, it it is literally, you know, it's astounding the levels of talent and and what we're seeing now is those players who played in the last generation, the younger players, so the likes of Vitinha and Fabio Vieira, who both I think started in the under twenty one final of last the last generation. They were the young pups in the team. They were you know, that wasn't their generation. They were just sort of helping out because they were good enough to do so. Now this is their generation and now they're the the sort of elder statesman at twenty one years of age, which sounds funny to say. Um but they're starting every week. Uh, we're starting every game, sorry, for the under-21s. So, so talented. Fabio Vieira is just... is incre- He's incredible. And so is Vitinha. Obviously, Vitinha is maybe a bit more familiar to the, the English audience with his with his low move to Wolves. Didn't get as many minutes as maybe he thought he would or, or they th- or at least Porto thought he would. Or deserved, but, in my opinion. Or, I mean, yeah. He was he was fantastic at the under twenty one Euros um this summer. Yeah. He he was if if I hadn't I mean I've definitely got this somewhere. He was in my team in the tournament. Don't know whether I ultimately gave him player of the tournament, but he was very much up there. And as you say, yeah. he was just taking he was, you know, he was helping out because he was one of the young pups, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and and as I say, being able to drop in and still stand out, and Fabio Vieira was the same. He, I think Fabio Vieira may have been given player of the tournament at, at that Euros. Um, I'll have to to check if I'm right on that. But again, just so much talent. And then we spoke before about him, uh, Gonzalo Nacio, uh, the other central defender there, Eduardo Cresma is someone mm. that burst onto the scene for Sporting and. He's good with his feet and you know likes to likes to play with the ball. Defensively looks good, and then he sort of had this spell where he was in and out of the team. You know there was rumours is it stuff off the field, what's going on, and then he's then loaned out to Tondela. We'll see sort of how he gets on 
uh, this season. Um, but you know, hopefully he can return to that form that he that he first shown. João Mario, the right back who plays um, for Porto, he played in the in the last game. I think he started in the game against Cyprus. Again, every time he plays for Porto first team, he's brilliant, and I don't think anybody really expected him to to in that position as well as a right back. Because he's 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 naturally he's a more forward player, you know, playing out wide, playing further up the pitch, and then he's sort of found himself playing right back, and he's excelling at it at the moment, to be honest. And look, you don't get into a Sergio Conceição side if you don't do defensive responsibilities, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, and if you know if you're caught out of position, and. The fact that he's playing, you know, most most weeks or when he can at twenty one years of age, uh, for a side like Porto, for a manager like Conceição who demands so much, is you know is fantastic. And then, as you say, you, you touched on uh, Gonzalo Ramos there. He's just on fire at the moment. Um, absolutely, he's all types of goals as well: bicycle kicks, headers, left, right. He's just playing like a man with, you know. Such brimming with confidence, and then alongside him, you've got someone who's maybe the opposite end of the confidence spectrum at the minute, and Fabio Silva, uh, who's he's finding it tough at the moment, to be honest. And you know, I'm happy that he's still in the under twenty one setup, mm. as in like he's still, despite not playing for Wolves, he's still being called up. Now, you know, some people say he should be called up on, you know, he should be playing week in week out. It should be, you know, merits, but it gives him a chance to go it gives him a chance to play football and try and get his confidence back at the moment it's um, yeah it's 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 not looking it's not looking the best for him I do think he needs needs a low move because I do think there's talent there just I needs mean, football we, doesn't he just needs game time that's it and that's he's not going to get that in this in the system at Wolves he's not going to get that yeah. with the, the trust you know he's. I, I mean I think we said on this podcast uh, when he initially signed you know it, it's it's there's a lot of faith in that move, especially for the fee. There's a lot of expectation, and he's pretty, yeah. he, while he's a very talented player, he's probably just not there yet. And the fact that he's still able to qualify for an under twenty one tournament at this stage, you know, in this cycle, shows that you know he was extremely young when that move was made. So yeah, yeah, I think I just I yeah. do think he just needs a bit of football. Gonzalo Ramos, am I right in thinking that he was he, he was literally scoring? some serious amount of goals off the bench for Benfica. Was it not the summer just passed, but the one before? Yeah, he, he was, he was, he's prolific every time. He was basically dividing his time between the first team and playing in the Segunda Liga for, for Benfica B. So I think that's really helped with his development because when you picture, say, a player that plays in England, if they're playing under 23 football in a league that's not very, you know, competitive as as some youth football isn't. But then you look at someone like Gonzalo Ramos that when he plays for Benfica B, he's playing in in just the second division. He's playing in the equivalent of the English Championship. So he's playing against men. He's playing against, you know, actual professionals who've got something to lose, who can be promoted, who can be relegated. So in Portugal they have an under twenty three league, uh, Liga Relevação. Playing in somewhere like the Segunda Liga is so much, you know, more beneficial. So he's scoring goals for fun there. Then he was being called up to to the first team, coming off the bench, you know, banging in goals there. Sometimes, um, I think in the game against Nacional, uh, I think it was he 
he came off the bench and scored twice. Um, and he came off the bench after about 70 minutes, scored after 10 minutes and then scored again. Uh, so, and that was to win the game. At that point, the game was 1-1. So, it's those type of games you're thinking you've got a player there, you know, someone who only needs 10, 15 minutes on the pitch to, to introduce himself. So, um, well, yeah, we'll see how see how his development goes. But fingers crossed he can keep sort of banging them in because another sort of natural goal scorer is exactly what Portugal needs, especially going forward in the next couple of years to the senior team. Um, that's someone who, who really knows where the back of the net is and that's exactly what he is. He scored four in the game against Liechtenstein, that absolute demolition. Mm. The most the most recent two games, he, he's got four and two. He got a hat-trick against Cyprus and, and got one in the reverse fixture as well. So he's just he is just really high on confidence. Now, Rui George, who's obviously the under-21 boss, and you can correct me on my pronunciation there. Uh, I've been frantically Googling how to pronounce it in the past four, sort of few minutes or so since I thought <laughs> of this question, but he's heading into his, his 12th year in the role uh, as, as under-21 boss. So he's obviously, he's been twice under-21 Euro runner-up. Um, you know, he's... He's effectively stewarded quite a few players from his team into the senior setup. Is it outside the realms of possibility to expect him to take over the reins from Fernando Santos whenever the time comes? No, I don't think it's outside the realms, to be honest. He was actually being touted in in some of the media as if Fernando Santos was to leave now, as in before the playoffs. That... Huey George would be someone that would come in and maybe take them through the playoffs. Maybe not get the job permanently, but if he, you know, was to to successfully go through the playoffs, maybe be given a chance at the World Cup to sort of put his stamp on things. Ultimately, the federation have decided to go in another in another direction. Uh, Fernando Santos apparently to to sack him would cost I think it was six million euros or something. Might have been more. Um, so they're not that they're not going to do that. They're going to wait for him to go sort of on his own terms. Uh, he's said he'll step down if they don't make it to the World Cup. Then at that point, does you know does someone like George get the job? I, I, I'm not sure. I do think, although given a manager, the the responsibility of taking them through a playoff would be a risk. There was a part of me that was you know that was excited to see just how it look how he would look as the first team manager because I say he. He gets, he does get the best out of these young players, and of course, youth football is a different level. And he's someone who knows youth football like the back of his hand, and he's not too well versed in in the senior game. But his team have principles; they have, you know, he has this tactical vision. The players are able to to you know follow it. He's able to implement it. You know, he's been around the. The Portugal setup for years. I mean, let's not forget he was he was the manager of the Portugal Olympic team back in twenty sixteen. I think it was yeah twenty sixteen. That was the team that had like Bruno Fernandes in, uh, Sergio Oliveira, Gonzalo Paciencia. That team, like, so he's he's been around the block and he knows the federation in and out. But whether they go with him, uh, yeah. You know, with the senior side, I keep calling them the first team when really should be saying senior side. Um, would it would it be a little bit of a risk? I'm not too sure, but you know, look, f- football that's what they get paid to do. The federation they get paid to make these kind of decisions, and who knows what will work. Fernando Santos initially came in to to steady the ship after 
uh, an awful, an awful result. Portugal lost against Albania, and then he came in to sort of guide qualification. And now it seems like things have came back around in circles. It's now Portugal are struggling with, um, struggling with qualification. Are they going to bring in someone they think is another safe name? Uh, you know, a more experienced option. I just don't know. I I just don't know, but. He's definitely a, a talented coach, is 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 Huy George, and you can see just from the players that he's brought through and the success that he's managed to get. Great stuff. Well, I'd I'd like to see that happen from a personal perspective. You know, we always like to see um, youth youth coaches be promoted to 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 the top job. Um, I've I've long been sort of pining after Luis de la Fuente in the under twenty one job at Spain to be given a senior job somewhere because he's he's done a stellar job there, but. Uh, maybe Roy George uh, can can get that top job. Who knows? Um, this has been uh, the Scouted Football Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, thank you to, to Aaron for for his insight and his expertise on Portuguese football and, and, and most of all, just your passion for it. Um, where can people follow your work? Where can people find you? So you can follow us on uh, Twitter at Prosima Jornada 1 uh, and then the Portuguese Football Show is a as a podcast. It's currently on a little bit of a break. We're changing over streaming um providers sort of thing. So a bit of technical stuff going on there. But that's at the moment you can catch all the old episodes on Spotify, um po- Apple Podcasts, all the all there. Um we actually did a, a really cool Euros um show when the Euros was on where we revisited every European championship that Portugal have been at. Uh, starting with the first and obviously ending with Euro 2016. So, um, tune into that to listen to um to listen to that, and then, um, yeah, that that's pretty much it. Well, on our website, prosima-shonada.com, interviews on there, scout reports, um, all that good stuff. You you'll uh, you'll 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 find something. <laughs> all the good stuff. Yeah, I'll make sure to to pop uh the uh, the relevant links and and the and the ads into the description for this episode if you want to check out more from from Aaron and the team. Uh, but yeah, this has been the Scouted Podcast discussing Portugal and sort of the, the next generation, what's to come next, uh, with myself Joe Donahue. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. Stay safe. Take care. Bye for now. For player profiles, in-depth features and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world.